Hi and welcome to this week's Three Legs Four Wheels F1 podcast. It's Paul here with Sean, Chris, Lee, and joining us this week our special guest is Craig Scarborough. Thanks a lot for coming on, Craig. It wouldn't wouldn't be the start of the season without you now. It's what the... No, it's a tradition now, isn't it? It yeah, is. What is this? The Christmas dinner and crackers and yeah. things. F- fifth year we've done this. Really? Wow. Something like yeah. that. Fourth or fourth or fifth? Yeah. Wow. Flipping it. Well, we are in our seventh. Yeah, we've just done seven years of this show now. Jesus, that's quite scary. <laughs> yeah, most of us were young when we started. I'm just letting anyone get a line in on there about my age. No, no, fair enough. No, he's fine. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, they have all gone. I've run out. Of them. <laughs> yeah, because you've been doing the age jokes that long. Yes. Yeah, new season, new jokes. Why not? <laughs> Why I'm literally not... too young to think of any more jokes about your age. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Um, right, so we've got, we have a season to look forward to. New cars, some new lineups, uh, new rules, new people behind the scenes, and, well, same old, same old from us, really. Um, first, first thing is, there was actually some Monday news tonight, and um, Imola is now on the calendar until 2025. Which personally, I think it's great. Love the circuit. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny actually. I, I've been going through sort of my archive over the winter, and it's like you actually realise that it used to be the first European race was San Marino, and it's like, oh god, yeah. I mean, we've got used to it being Spain now for so many years, and I think this year, I can remember the calendar correctly. It's kind of gone back to its original place, and uh, I think the calendar's all better for it. I think it's great that we get, we're going to be going back there. Um, for some time to come, so I'm going to have to try and wrangle a, a pass and get out there one year. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, if we if we could get transport off the island, we'd join you. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's been good since it's come back, hasn't it, Imola? It's been a couple of good races. Yeah. No, but it's um, it's it's good to see it back. Um, it looks like F1 are moving the way away from the um, we only want one race per country, and they can't they can't really say it with now two. US Grand Prix on the uh, on the calendar this year, and potentially the third as well, because there's talk of Las Vegas. Don't know what anyone thinks. Yeah, to where that. did that go? Is that is that, that's not on the calendar at the moment, is it? I know I don't know if that one's still a live opportunity, is it? Um, yeah, apparently it is. I mean, Miami's obviously confirmed for this year, um, mm. and in typical Florida style, they're building a beach club between two of the corners. Classic. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, there's. Um, there's talk of um, a Vegas race, not necessarily a, a street circuit. Could be something um, on the Vegas Motor Speedway, which um, I was watching the I was watching the NASCAR on last night for about ten minutes, and I got bored of seeing yellow flags. <laughs> so um, it could it could be something sort of indie style with um, bits of the oval and a road course in the middle, possibly. Which I like the way that they did it at Indy. Don't know what everybody else thinks about that. That's not going to be a quick fix, though, is it? That's not going to be something that they can sort of knock up for next year, I would imagine. That'll be a... To get it sort of ready and FIA sign-off, that'll be a, a job. Ah, throw throw enough money at it and do it quick enough. I mean, don't forget, last time the race in Las Vegas was in a car park. <laughs> this is true. Yes, yeah. indeed it was. <laughs> I, think, I, I, don't I think maybe Las Vegas, I mean, it needs to be in Las Vegas, doesn't it? I mean, that was the sort of... Always the disappointment with the Valencia Grand Prix, that it was... 
out of the port and no one could sort of see Valencia in the background. I mean, I think if, you know, if they put like a glass tunnel through a casino or something, had the cars flying through like they have at some of the former E-races, I think Berlin and, and London both had a kind of a, a notional indoor section. Uh, I think that would be stunning. And I think that would really kind of, you know, grab people's attention. So, um, yeah, why not? Let's have a, a, a car park, um, casino, uh, what have you. Uh, race rather than something out on a on a circuit i'm just i'm just trying to work out how they'd um how they do that then again it's las vegas money is no object <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> oh um, who's left their phone on oh that, that was that was me that was me paul <laughs> i'm out of practice we haven't done a show for three weeks <laughs> So, the new season is upon us. Um, testing, not shakedown, starts uh, starts this week. And um, we'll actually get to see all the cars sort of in the flesh, as it were. And, well, they look different from last year. And as we were saying before we started recording, they actually look different to how um, how they were all revealed to us over the last few weeks. Um, they have. And I, yeah. you know, I think one of the great things is after that kind of slightly odd... Uh, concept launch back at Silverstone last year. Uh, everyone has been saying since, well, it's a spec series. All the cars are going to look the same. Formula One is dead. And I was sort of saying, no, 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 no. There's loads of things they can do. There's loads of things they can do with these cars. And bang, you know, we've got 10 very different cars. And you, it's very hard to kind of put them into any kind of grouping as to, well, them two are very similar. Even though the Rebel and the Alpha Tauri or the Haas and the Ferrari, they're all totally different. And um, I think Formula One's up so much better for it. It's uh, everyone's got a different concept and a different way of thinking about how to exploit these rules, and uh, it certainly has worked. Yeah, I mean, I mean, starting from the front and working backwards, there's there's a lot of variety just in the um, just in the front wing shapes with um, with the way that they're going for different aero concepts. And, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, and then. The, the what is going on on the side of the Red Bull car because there is a hell of a lot where the turning vanes used to be. Yes, um, there's a little area they've kind of created to, to feed the underfloor and they've given you um, the, the one that looks like a barge board that sort of sticks out the side. That's uh, in the rules is called a floor edge wing, um, which I guess is what F-E-W, few? No, that doesn't sound very good, does it? <laughs> um, and then you've got fences inside that section as well and the teams have got quite a lot of scope to play with the size and the shape of that area and they're all very different and they're all quite hard to see uh, which is interesting so I think that's going to be one of those kind of spy moments uh, getting the right photography over the uh, the test and the first races just to exactly understand uh, what's going on in that area because it's not what you would expect and I know there were some pictures from the uh, the German website AMUS which uh, had the Alpha Tauri up um, uh, on a uh, crane and got the photos underneath that area and uh, yeah it's um, it's another area where everyone's quite different there's a couple of little loopholes people have found there Williams and Red Bull uh, have both found them I think Haas found the same one as Williams as well so uh, yeah then you've got like the side pods are very different the roll hoops are very different um, really it's only the the, the the rear wing at the moment that looks fairly consistent from car to car but I think that will vary as the team start playing about with wing levels rather than just kind of focusing on Bahrain, which would be the you know, obviously the big test and the first race. 
and of course we'll get to see um, we'll get to see an approximation of what's going to be racing at Bahrain this week. But there's no guarantees that the cars that we'll see out on track in testing um, will be the ones that actually end up on the grid. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a handful of uh, teams that will have substantial updates. I think Mercedes being the kind of the leader amongst them, the car that they did the shakedown uh, with uh, was uh, very much a kind of, I mean, I've been describing it as a W12, W13 or uh, 12 and a half or something. It's like they've got the, the the structure and the mechanics of the W13, but it looks like the radiators and the side pod concept was very much grafted on from the previous car. So maybe they're keeping their powder dry there and they're going to have something, you know, quite different in the sort of the side pod and the floor area, which would make lots of sense because that's really where at the moment where a lot of the opportunities are. Uh, I wouldn't expect the nose to change necessarily, but uh, you never know. But uh, yeah, Mercedes definitely going to be one of the ones to change. But equally, I think this is going to be a year of high development. So, you know, the sort of general concept that you'll see on some cars at the beginning of the year will evolve into something quite different by the time we get through to the final race in 23 races time, which um, is still quite kind of hard to fathom as someone that <laughs> kind of has to work every every Grand Prix weekend. Uh, it's <laughs> a very long season. Well, 23 races if they uh, drop in the replacement for the now cancelled Russian Grand Prix, of course. Mm. That's true. Um, Portugal's looking. Oh, I thought Turkey that. was the hot rumor. Oh, we're looking at different websites. Obviously, um, Singapore also tweeted something today, didn't they? Um, they? They retweeted the article about the needing another Grand Prix, and the, the mm-hmm. Singapore circuit retweeted that saying that would this is a, sorry yeah yeah sorry Malaysia. Oh, Malaysia. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. The Pang circuit. Yeah. I miss the Pang. Yeah, I think, I mean, that was a, that, that's a great circuit, mm-hmm. um, uh, produces great racing, looks fantastic. It's great to be there as well. I'm lucky enough to have been there just the once. I'd love to see Sepang back on the uh, the calendar. And with Petronas, you know, still mm. heavily involved with uh, Mercedes, you could see how that, that could be organised. Obviously, I don't know, obviously, the, the finer details of the politics and the commercial side of it. But, um, yeah, if, if they're asking for votes, it would get my vote to come back on the calendar. Yeah, that one didn't occur to me. Also, mm. it's um, it's fully lit, so they could have it as a night race. Ooh, night sepang. Oh, that'd be nice. Yes. Yeah, that, that was cool. another thing that I think I read about during the week as well. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I know the time difference would, would, would be handy and night races can be quite exciting. But I, I, you know, I think because it is such a, you know, the, the architecture of the grandstands with, you know, those sort of hairpins going around the uh, the palm-like um ends of the uh the stands i you know i think it would still work much better in the in the daytime but if we have to go there at night then that, that, that's fine by me as well doing it at night time would take out the um unfortunate event of all the water in the world falling out of the sky during the race though what, does it not um, rain not at sure night in malaysia the case no, no, it's the well, it kind it's of rains at the same season, time, isn't it? Yeah, well, it kind of yeah. rains at the same time every day. Ah. Every day, day when the humidity gets to a certain point, it just all falls out of the sky because that's all it can take. Oh. There we go. Yeah, did that the year that they? Um, I think it was the year Button won with half points. Was that the did ice change, cream race? Yeah, they changed. They changed the time, and because my my friend used to live uh, uh, used to live out there. And he was saying, like, all the sort of local weather guys were saying, like, this is a fucking disaster waiting to happen moving the race. And 
yeah, the disaster happened. <laughs> oh, by the way, Jensen Button is now friend of friend of friend of the podcast because um, regular listener and our um, sim racing correspondent Matt Steele is now going karting with him on a weekly oh, nice. basis. Cool. There we go. I'll, Should uh... probably find somebody a bit slower, really. <laughs> <laughs> Matt won his class. I don't think he was as fast as Jensen. <laughs> Craig, you were mentioning rules and legality a minute ago. Is there any rumbling of anything like a, a protest or anything that's kind of raised any eyebrows at this point? As like, oh, that's a bit not necessarily within the letter of the law. No, I've not heard any rumblings. Obviously, I've been, you know, I keep my eye very close to these things, and uh, there's there's a handful of things that will come up. Um, I think uh, bodywork flexibility is almost definitely going to be a big story again this year, I have to say. And it's going to be the, the floor edges will be one of the sort of the key things um, which I think teams will start to complain about. Uh, trouble is, it's very hard to get it with the onboard camera. So it needs to be trackside photography, which can be hard to um, analyze accurately between teams but yeah I think there's there's a few bits and pieces um, I think how some of the teams are going to manage the brakes and the brake cooling uh, with respect to managing the tyre temperatures I think that is something that's a bit of a blind spot within the regulations and there's also just a few sort of like geometry things which kind of I don't think will probably bubble up but I think there's a few interpretations where a few other teams are going to go mm, but you can't put that there and it's like well <laughs> Yeah, we've we've asked the FIA and they've said yes, and um, we're going to run it. So yeah, so I, I I think it will be a year of technical controversy, definitely. And um, you know, as much as there was a, a brief moment of love breaking out between, um, I mean, it's not the best way of describing it, peace breaking out <laughs> um, between a couple of the top team principals over the winter. That seems to have been you know quite sharply forgotten almost immediately going into uh, the last week. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we could still be in for quite a lot of backbiting this year um, with legality and how teams are going about doing technical things with the cars. So, yeah, that should keep me. It should keep me nice and busy. <laughs> should do. A friend of a friend who uh, works within a Formula One team said that when Red Bull took their car uh, under the covers, uh, out of its covers on uh, the, the first day of the shakedown, because it was definitely not a test. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, a lot of people had, uh, you know, were a lot of other teams furrowed brows and raised eyebrows, apparently, <laughs> at, the, at what Red Bull did with their side pod, moving that air inlet further back. Although on further inspection, it looks like that's not actually that important. No, I mean, I think we're, you know, at this time of the uh, year, for, particularly for these regulations, side pods uh, are a very visual thing that we're all going to be looking at and comparing. And there is almost definitely a better solution amongst them, maybe a couple that, you know, en- end up being very similar. But I don't think the side pod is going to be like the, the brawn double diffuser moment. It's not something that's kind of a primary performance factor on these cars, but it's something that needs to get sorted out. Um, and you know, we'll contrast them. I mean, the Red Bull side pod inlet, um, you know, I, 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 that was one of the obvious solutions for me looking at the regulations <laughs> that you would kind of, you know, form something a bit like a barge board uh, with some of the surface to create the undercut, have the inlet further back. 
Um, but yeah, the, the new regulations open lots of opportunities for allow you, to allow you to play with the shape of the side pods and equally the, the, the function of the side pods in terms of not just cooling the engine, but also in terms of the, you know, the undercut, working the floor edge with the slope of the side pod, working the diffuser and equally just the, the bulk of the side pod reducing drag. And I think that's one of the other big things that's maybe surprised me coming out of the side pods this year. So if you think back, for as long as most of us probably can remember, um, certainly some of the some of the younger members that are uh, involved in this podcast today, not last oldies, um, side, skinny the side pods, the better the race car has always been the kind of the the the, 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 the go to reference. Yeah, but that's not necessarily the case because under the previous regulations, the teams were trying to create as much downforce as they could, and if it meant creating lots of drag, then you know. That downforce wins out, which need more and more downforce. Dirty downforce was the, the term that the teams tend to use, or inefficient was probably more likely what the uh, aerodynamicists would say. Uh, and that was great. And that's uh, skinny side pods really work for that. But now it looks on the face of it that a lot of the teams are trying to create as low a drag car as possible to kind of complement the underfloor tunnels, which produce much less drag, but lots of downforce. And, you know, you see someone like the Haas or the Ferrari in particular really go in this low drag route and bigger side pods um, can give you downforce, but equally big side pods can reduce drag because they slightly shadow and shape the airflow by the rear wheels, which are you know, a big source of the uh, drag in, a, in an open wheeler race car. So, yeah, I think we've got to kind of reset our brains a little bit. Everyone was kind of pointing at the McLaren uh, and, and the Ferrari going, oh, that car's too bulky. They're going to have to change that. And it's like, mm, no, maybe, actually, maybe they won't. And then you go and look at something like the Williams and you think, ah, that looks really exciting. And I mean, I, I think it's the most radical car out there. But is that the right solution for this year? Is that, you know, is that all going to add up? So, yeah, there's... um. There is some scope to get some performance out of side pods, but equally, I think there's the, the, the biggest danger is actually there's a uh, you can lose out a lot um, with the side pod. So I think it's going to be you know something that we'll be talking a lot about through the year as teams play about with the shape of the bodywork. I mean, one one thing that the teams will have had to have done with um, certainly the arrow around the side of the car um, is adapt to the new eighteen inch wheels, and it. To me, that looks like um, it's a bit of a change that's been sort of forced on the whole sort of, um, aero design philosophy around the sides, and trying to sort of mitigate the um, the changes in changes in airflow. Is it going to be one of these years where some teams will get it right and some teams will just um, have to play catch up all season with that, or do you think most of the teams have got the uh, have got that taken into consideration? Um, I mean, I would say, given the variety of designs that we've got out there, although, you know, the, the, the shakedown at Barcelona wasn't very conclusive, I think there are, I don't think anyone has got it drastically wrong at the moment, but I think there will be a, a spread of, you know, the good and the bad cars. Um, and at the moment, it's looking, it's following a very similar pattern to the, you know, the, the, the championship standings for the past few years um, with a bit of shuffling, you know, uh, within one or two positions for everyone. In, in respect to the aero around these new wheels and tyres, in some respects, the, the great thing with these regulations is that they've been thought through by engineers, uh, aerodynamicists, you know, chassis designers. And while it will have a big impact, a lot of the things that they've done with the design of the cars, 
the wheels and the tires kind of look after themselves aerodynamically because you've got these big deflectors over the uh, top of the front tires. And what you can't really see is a, a really clever deflector lower down on the inside of the uh, front tires, front brake duct area. And a lot of those swirly patterns that everyone got very excited about in the rain um, on the uh, latter days of Barcelona. That is partly these deflectors doing their job to direct the the tire wake to the back of the car. Uh, the teams will always want to try and get that out of the way, but there's a limit to what you can do with the with them with these regulations. So, you know, it's not it's one of those things that I think the teams are going to very quickly reach the limit of what they can do in terms of managing the the tire wake, and then they're just going to have to live with it and get other areas of the car to work. But generally. Um, I think what the FIA have enforced with that sort of tyre bodywork, the wheel covers, what have you, um, is probably what a lot of the teams would have gone for, um, given the objectives anyway. So, uh, yeah, there's a limit to what you can play about with there. So it will be interesting to see if anyone comes up with anything really clever in those limited areas they can play about with those things. But I think by and large, it's a case of, you know, that's what you've got. Deal with it. My phone again, or was that somebody else's phone? It was someone's phone. phone. Someone wasn't my somebody's, phone. Somebody's phone just went off. I don't <laughs> Can't have been mine. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, yes, porpoising. Now, that was uh, that was something that was discussed <laughs> quite a bit during the shakedown. Um, something that we've not something that we've not seen for um, for a few years. In fact, the last, the last time I remember it getting mentioned was um, by Eddie Jordan when he was describing how woefully bad the um, HRT car was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, porpoise is is something that's that's always been present in the you know the, the higher end downforce eras of, of Formula One, which typically means that it kind of started around the ground effect era in the late seventies, early eighties, but uh, certainly until the mid nineties when they sorted out the underfloor era with the plank and the step and the the, the limited sizes of. Um, diffusers and that the height at the front wing, a lot of that went away because it was li- the, the rules were literally trying to get rid of part of that effect. And it's it's what's been quite interesting, you know. Again, being being an, a bit of an oldie, remembering it from you know the oldie days, um, that a lot of people you know, are simply unaware of it and weren't really aware of what was causing it and what was going on. And uh, that's been quite interesting because you know uh, Formula One's fan base. Uh, has has changed quite dramatically um, over the past few years. And, you know, you call it the drive to survive effect or what have you. But uh, certainly there's a lot of people that, you know, don't know of previous areas of Formula One, you know, the technology and the problems. But porpoising is is quite simply is at the faster you go in a, in a Formula One car, it, the more downforce you get. And that squashes everything down to the track. So it squashes the suspension down. It squashes the tyres. It also deflects the bodywork. Hence the reason I was mentioning earlier that I think that's going to be um, one of the um, talking points for this year. And there comes a point that something gives up with the aerodynamics under the car and there's lots of things that it could be. And then you lose your downforce. And without the downforce, the everything springs back up. But as soon as you spring back up, the downforce starts getting created again and it squashes you down. And then you just go up and down, up and down, up and down. As we saw that, you know, rather um, worrying looking video of uh, Charles Leclerc going down the uh, straight. You know, again, equally bumps can uh, have an effect on it um, 
you know, as we've seen at Le Mans, you know, uh, crests in the road as well. If you're behind another car, there's lots of factors. And for me, it was quite surprising that so many teams had issues with this, knowing how good they are in the wind tunnel, how good they are in working out what's going on with suspension, even though the suspension is massively simplified this year. Um, having said that, I think everyone's got a little bit too excited about Popo Singh. And I think it's one of those things that we'll see probably a lot less of in the Bahrain test, even less by the time we get to the uh, the race. And then really it's just going to be one of those little things that crops up for a team uh, or a, you know, a number of teams based on the circuit, the tyres, you know, everything else that's kind of going on at the time. I don't think we're going to see teams regularly having problems and large numbers of the teams having problems with it. It's just something that they will work out very quickly. And you could see all, even in those three days of shakedown, teams were uh, adapting the setup of the car, potentially adapting the aero. I think a lot of people were pointing at changes that were on the car and immediately assuming that was to do with porpoising. I think that was actually just more to do with the um, the planned aero updates anyway, particularly at the back edge of the floor. So I think this is something that will, you know, be a little bit of a hype for a while, if that fact already has, and, and will die down very rapidly. That that does explain it. Oh, Chris, you've just rejoined us again, twice. We're having we're having great technical fun tonight. <laughs> just carry on. <laughs> just carry on. <laughs> At least you've come back not giant. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> Give it half. Give it half an hour. Um, yeah, on the subject of Charles Leclerc, he did say that um, bringing active suspension back would um, would solve a lot of the problems. Um, where, do you, where do you stand on that one? Um, I've got two points of view on that. Really, um, first of all, I don't think it's the solution uh, for Paul Bussing, uh because <clears throat> while there is. Um, you know, simpler suspension on the cars now. I think simply having active suspension isn't a cure-all for what's going on here because it's a largely aerodynamic problem, um, which then um, dovetails into it then being a you know an out-of-balance problem with this the aero, the suspension, the flexibility of the tyres, the flexibility of the bodywork, you know, the, the shape and the surface of the track. So I don't think active is that kind of the click your fingers, this will sort it. Uh, having said that, I've long since um, argued for the return of active suspension in Formula 1s, especially seeing as since we've now got the, the spec ECU in the cars, which goes all the way back to 2006, I think. It has the self-policing ability within the regulations. And I know it's been a debate that's come and gone with the regulators and the teams many times. A lot of the chief designers, technical directors, tacitly would like it to come back, but I don't think it's just been high enough on the agenda to actually happen. Um, I would like it to come back. I mean, I think it, it could be easily pleased. It would be uh, a good piece of technology and in an odd kind of way, save the teams a fortune because, you know, the aero, the aero side of suspension development since, um, well, certainly since the end of the active era, but certainly in the, uh, the last decade or two under the current regulations, the teams have spent a fortune trying to create mechanical and hydromechanical solutions to do things that we could do with, you know, a bit of code knocked up in an afternoon and I'm <laughs> massively simplifying it for anyone who works on suspension coding. Uh, but I, yeah, it, 
it's very different. It's the same with the steering system as well, which um, was a discussion I was having on social media at the weekend as well. Because you can now police these things so much better, it would be cheaper, simpler, uh, more flexible to have these things brought into um, back into the sport. And there's no argument that these could be driver aids, which is one of the reasons that a lot of this technology was banned back in uh, 94 anyway. Uh, so partially incorrectly anyway but um definitely i think that there are you know some technology that could come back um in a slightly simplified way so i'd like to see active back but not simply as a, a sticking plaster for um porpoising that says it all <laughs> mm. <laughs> um i've completely lost where i was going to go next anybody else got another question quick while i try and regain my train of thought well, we had a quick uh, conversation pre-podcasting about renders and how they seem <laughs> to be further away from the actual cars that we saw in 22 than uh, than I can remember in any other year. Because uh, is this just because of the new set of rules or is this just teams only willing to release renders that are quite old? You know, what's the deal with the renders being so distant from the actual cars that came out on track? I think there's a, there's a few different aspects to it. I think, first of all, is that the teams are developing in the wind tunnels at a massive rate at this stage. And those renders, those renders aren't purely designed to excite fans on launch day. Those renders are designed long in advance in order to show what the car looks like to sponsors, to potential sponsors. Hey, you know, put your sticker here. And it would look like this. And, you know, this is what our car is going to be like. So those renders have a life beyond those uh, few hours of um, fame uh, on launch day. But having said that, there is this whole secrecy thing. And some of the teams have been quite ridiculous about it this year in terms of how tight-lipped they've been. And therefore, the renders um, have been um, slightly older versions. And, you know, Haas were very open about that when they unveiled their car with a render quite early sometimes they're willfully uh, inaccurate and you know we we know that the mclaren was i think the the mercedes render which was shown during the launch was was inaccurate um alpines was definitely hiding aspects of the car which um were physically different um and uh, the great thing with the render is that you know you can hide a push rod. I mean, actually thinking about it now, we completely forgot about the Aston Martin where they'd only rendered one of the front push rods onto the car, which led to a whole debate yeah. on social media as to, well, where's the other one? Are they, can they only run with one or have they got a push rod and a pull rod? Which I created a joke about and was quite excited to find out that some Italians actually repeated that joke, uh, thinking I was serious. Um, but yeah, the renders, you know, it's it's, it's a, a slightly convenient thing. The other thing you've got to think about is, you know, if you've you watched any of the Drive to Survives or like the, the fantastic McLaren uh, documentary, which I, I can't remember what it was called now, Grand Prix Drive or something like that, something um, like from that. a few years ago. Those last weeks of getting that car built are really fraught at the factory. People are working, you know, all day long, all night long, getting this, trying to get this car finished. And then you can imagine all the people in you know, the design office, in the manufacturing, all of the people piecing physically the car together, only to have the marketing director walk in and go, right, I'm taking that car away for two days now. I'm going to photograph it for a day, and then I'm going to put it in front of all of the press for a day. And they're thinking, we haven't got two days to spare. We've <laughs> got to get this you know, lorry down to 
Barcelona or flown off to Bahrain. So having a render, or sadly, as we had uh, this year, was the the show car, the F1 show car um, being um, wheeled out in front of the world's press and um, Christian Horner or um, uh, Williams saying, this is our new car. And it's like, that is not your new car. And you know, I've got no problem with them showing you a livery on a show car, you know, as long as they say what that is. But saying that is the RB18 is at best disingenuous because that show car was made in Northampton out of, you know, steel tubes at the back of the car. Um, and while it is actually carbon fibre, uh, it doesn't have brakes, doesn't have an engine, doesn't have gearbox, fuel tank. Um, it's made up from bits and pieces of other race cars and, um, you know, F1 early concepts uh, of bodywork. So, you know, showing that off, uh, I think Alpine did it as well, to be fair, at their launch, um, is just, uh, to me, it just doesn't make sense that why would you call something that patently isn't your car, your car? Um but you know, maybe that's just something I'm being a little bit picky about. But it was no, an no, odd year. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was an odd year to pick apart what to look at and what not to look at um, uh, between show cars, renders, um, you know, hushed up photography that came out, to, you know, claiming to be spy photography, but clearly wasn't because you know someone was purposely standing in front of something they didn't want you to see. Uh, and it's been tricky, but you know. The flip side of that is that you know we've had a, a fantastic range of cars and solutions to have a really good look at through the the launch season. Well, I mean, we'll we'll get to see. Um, I'd probably say about eighty percent of what everything's going to look like um, come this come this week in Bahrain. Um, yeah, what should we be looking out for in particular? Right. Okay. Uh, well, we've mentioned a couple of teams that have come with quite big updates. Um, and I think that will be quite obvious. Uh, I think what you need to be looking at now, um, or what I will be looking at now, is looking at some of the, the details which were obviously simplified on the, the launch cars. And one of the big things is going to be that inlet to the diffuser uh, with the barge boards or the, the floor edge wing and the, the fences inside, the shapes that they've got there. And then along the floor edge, and again, it was the big story from last year talking about the floor edge, and then no one had really kind of concentrated in it much up until that point. That's going to be an area of, of big development, um, and you're going to see lots of slots and little flicks and bits and pieces being put along the edge of the floor, and it's going to be quite hard to kind of pick apart what they're doing. And equally, you're going to have people pointing at changes and saying that's because of poison but it's actually more to do with rear tire wake and managing the the diffuser at the back of the car than necessarily kind of responding to those things uh, i think the other great thing that we're going to have in this test um there'll be a lot more people there with a lot more cameras and we're going to start to see a lot more under the skin of the cars which we did get quite a bit from at the barcelona shakedown but maybe it's not as much as not as much as i would like but i don't think there's ever going to be a case where they're going to show as much as i would like um and I think the things that we need to start to be looking at is, you know, how the suspension's laid out, how they're also inside the, the brake ducts, how they're managing um, the, the, the internals of the brake ducts now, because that's become a lot more complicated this year. Because in previous years, you have the scoop on the, in, uh, the front brakes and that goes in through the brakes and it goes out through the wheel, kind of job done. Now you can only bring the air in through the brake duct scoop 
into the brakes and then it won't go out through the wheel. Um, in fact, it won't even go out of the brake duct, but it has to kind of all be ducted internally and go back out the, the, the far end of the scoop um, on the inside of the wheel. So we're going to see some very dirty cars in races this year. I mean, that white horse is going to be looking particularly grubby, I would imagine, uh, come race end. And we've seen Red Bull have done something quite sophisticated in that area. And a couple of other teams have been quite simple. And again, as I alluded to earlier, I think this is an area where teams could be playing about with thermal management of the brakes and the tyres. And uh, it's something that's a bit of a grey area within the regulations. They try to kind of word it out by specifying aspects of these brake ducts, but it will still be something that teams will, will put a lot of development in. And we haven't seen the half of what's inside those things at this stage. And, of course, the other thing this year, we've got the engine freeze, um, which was all done for the benefit of Red Bull and Red Bull powertrains, but now it looks like it wasn't really necessary if Honda are going to be continuing. I wouldn't agree with that, no. Um, I think what it was is Honda were pulling out, Red Bull clearly needed a power, power unit, and it wasn't likely that any of their rivals wouldn't give them an engine supply i mean let's be honest who would and then you then have the issue with well they can't develop an engine in in the time available you know how can you have one of your well um championship winning teams without a power unit uh so everybody agreed to go with the engine freeze and that basically allowed red bull uh, breathing time to set up red bull powertrains which is more of um uh, a business to operate the engines the engines will still be made um by honda uh, and brought over to the uk and it will partly be managed in the uk by honda but partly by rebel powertrains that, that, that arrangement wouldn't have happened if you didn't have the freeze so the fact that you still see hrc honda race corporation which is moto gp fan i think it's great seeing that sticker on a car um it's uh it, it it's just one of those arrangements that just works out because that's where everyone else is. Now, you've got to remember the regu- engine regulation changes and these engines will now be uh, frozen until the end of 2025. And then in 2026, we get this, you know, as yet undisclosed new engine formula, which will be more sustainable. It will be a bit louder, uh, hopefully a lot cheaper, and will bring in other manufacturers at that point. So that's when Red Bull powertrains will really start to need to get busy. But it also means with this engine freeze is that Mercedes and Ferrari and Renault have now got, and and Honda um, potentially, have got time to be looking at these new engine regulations. Um, you know, what would happen if we do have a fully sustainable e-fuel, if we do lose the, um, lose the MGUH, and if we suddenly have a 500 horsepower hybrid system on the cars. You've got to remember... Even though these cars are currently a thousand horsepower, only 160 of that horsepower is actually given by the hybrid system, which seems a really odd imbalance when you can see that, you know, the endurance um, LMP1 cars were a thousand horsepower, 500 hybrid, 500 from the combustion engine. I think that's where Formula One wants to be going towards. So the teams, you know, all the engine manufacturers will start to be playing about with what do they need to do for these re- regulations while having a degree of parity and, you know, a slightly uh, lighter workload uh, over these next handful of seasons with these current power units. So I think it's just one of those things that's worked out 
quite well for everybody in the end and not just um, a weird consequence of Honda wanted to pull out. Ah, right. I, I obviously uh, completely mistook the way that it was all uh, all done yeah. and put across. But saying that, if they're going down the sort of the similar route to the, um, you can't call them LMP ones anymore, the hypercars. Toyota comes back and all of a sudden every customer team is clamouring to be the uh, de facto Toyota Works team. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, but then you've got the German manufacturers coming in as well. I mean, there's lots of rumours about Audi and Porsche and what have you. Uh, I think it would be good that we had, you know, more engine manufacturers in the sport, um, uh, but in a way that, you know, is reasonable for them in terms of, how much money they need to spend because that scares them away very very quickly and equally you know i hate i, mean, I hate using the word road relevance because it's almost like a, a negative term for a lot of people that are into motor racing but you know something has got that kind of social responsibility that we're not just racing around burning petrol to entertain people that we are actually doing something you know we are considering the environment around us and, uh, you know, that's definitely that sustainability message, that environmental message is something Formula One is very big to get across, despite the fact that, you know, it is a petrol based sport. And, um, you know, nowadays, you know, the, the, the world simply doesn't look, look kindly upon something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember years ago thinking, you know, what, what will happen to Formula One um, when petrol is an incredibly rare commodity and it looks like they're actually gearing up to get away from it being the uh sort of weapon of choice i guess or the main weapon yeah of choice, i mean anyway i mean i think that the, the strategy they're following at the moment is to go towards a sustainable combustion fuel now i i'm completely honest i'm not entirely clear exactly what that means and how much the the figures stack up because you know, it, it's sustainable. Great. It means it's renewable. We're not digging up oil in order to power the cars, but equally there are emissions and there is a, you know, a cradle to the grave carbon cost for whatever goes into the, the fuel as it would be with um, if it went electric. At the moment, they seem to be trying to keep hold of the combustion engines, certainly through till 2030. But, you know, yeah, there is a there is a discussion to be had is at what point does Formula One uh, potentially go away from the the way that it's always done which is pretty much the only way that any car and vehicle uh, can operate which is a combustion engine and a gearbox and a differential and drive shaft out to wheels and do they think about changing that layout you know at what point do we think could we go with battery or with hydrogen or with some kind of wireless powered technology along the streets like a skeletrix car sort of thing um uh, or you know and do do we maybe keep the engine but rather than the engine the combustion engine driving the wheels why doesn't it drive a motor so that everything's more efficient and you have electric motors driving um the wheels at the back of the car you know there's lots of different shapes that the um that the car could end up being and maybe even an equivalency formula which worked so well in the um uh sort of the 80s with it with the turbo era so yeah i mean i think there's 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 a lot still to be discussed and i think you know at the moment F1 seems to be having some conversations, but it's certainly shying away from having a, you know, quite a bold roadmap going in sort of, you know, into the 2030s, 40s and 50s, which, you know, I, you know it's thinking about, but I think it, you know, it does need to start to communicate the direction and the ideas that it's having. 
At what point do you think that a Formula One team or an engine manufacturer is going to start running on electric power uh, for uh, pit lane entry, for example, um, on saving fuel and maybe even running behind the safety car? Because I thought for a small time before we saw 2022 cars that an engine manufacturer might try and go down that um go down that route where they uh you know they're saving minuscule amounts of fuel um but obviously you know formula one's all about fine margins um you know using as much of the electric power as 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 possible not seen in formula one before yeah, I mean, I think that is something that that was originally going to be part of the, the concept, I think, of the 2014 regulations, if I remember correctly, certainly pit lane um, uh, use under electric. Uh, but the way that the cars are mechanically laid out where the, uh, the hybrid motor is effectively attached to the crankshaft of the engine. So the only way you can run electric only is still to spin the engine and the pistons under compression. And it's like, well, that just that's not going to work. Um so, yeah, there would need to be a major regulation change. Um, equally, as much as we think when we see these cars kind of trundling around behind the safety car, that they're kind of going like your nan does uh, in her you know, little hatchback. Let's remember, there's a, a trained racing driver in a high performance road car at the front of that pack, the safety car driver, who's driving the legs off of that car. Yet still, the Formula One cars behind are going, he's going too slow. <laughs> so you know, the Formula One cars are still, you know, delivering a huge amount of power and energy when they're behind the safety car. And I don't think the battery that's on board um, and the, you know, the paltry 160 horsepower um, hybrid motor wouldn't really allow you to be behind the safety car for any period on electric only. So, you know, that would need to come as part of the future regulation changes and I, I think it should you know i think that's all good stuff i mean it's really only been in the past year that all of these cars have effectively been able to self-start themselves with the mg uk yeah uh, which is the hybrid motor attached to the engine and i think ferrari and i think it was renault were probably the first two teams to be able to actually start the car because the mg uk is to all intents and purposes 160 horsepower starter motor um with a whack and great big battery in front of it at nine hundred thousand volts so not 900,000, 900 to 1,000, should I say. Um, and Mercedes were the last team to actually be able to self-start their car. And what I understand now is that certainly most of the other teams, apart from Mercedes, actually start the car in the garage now under the, the hybrid system without putting the starter shaft in at the back of the car, which is you know, an odds, oddly small piece of um, progress, but something that you think, why is it taking so long? Why isn't that in the regulations? Equally with the reverse gear. You know, these cars, for the small amount of times that they would need to reverse, it would probably be better to do it with the engine off with the hybrid system than it would be to you know, rely on um, a, a rather recalcitrant um, mechanical reverse gear. But, um, you know, n- no one seems to have gone that direction yet. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, w- when you see how much these regs have changed for 2022 and how much they're thinking about 2026, and you think about all these other things, you think, well, actually, that yeah, we... Maybe we're now in a place where this wish list gets met at the end of the regulations rather than ideas coming up and then being thrown at the wayside uh, when it kind of comes down to the crunch moment when the rules are actually being written. So, yeah, I'm kind of optimistic some of this stuff will get sorted out in the fullness of time. But not yet. It physically can't. You know, there's some yeah. of those things that just, you know, it's just completely impractical, um, if not technically impossible. 
Is that a regulatory thing that the crankshaft is um, attached to the um, hybrid part of the system? I don't believe it is. I mean, I know Ferrari initially had their MG UK on the other side of the engine. Now, I was never entirely clear how they did the gearing. But it wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't be difficult for the regulations to either enforce or to allow the teams to have the MG UK as part of the gearbox. Um, and in fact, you know, theoretically, you could get rid of the clutch and just have, um, um, uh, uh, like, oh, I'm trying to think of the um, Koenigsegg. Uh, and you could have uh, you know, a mechanical setup there that does away with the clutch completely. So the cars pull away on electric power at the race start or something like that. So, you know, there, there's, there's, yeah. there are ways and means. It's just the way these cars have been put together almost with a, an archaic architecture uh, in some respects um, because it kind of works. You know, it's legacy stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, the teams could do it if they felt that there was a reason to do so. Sorry, Chris, I thought you were going to say something else then. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I, think I'm, uh, I think I'm all geeked out when it comes to the hybrid system. <laughs> Lee, you've been massively quiet tonight. Are you actually still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just listening tonight. <laughs> Absorbing. <laughs> um, off, like, I know obviously things are going to change massively when we get to the, uh, to the next test and teams have got new bits bolted on. But from the first like shakedown, wh- which teams do you think looked in the best shape? Oh, that's a tricky question, that one. Um, and it, and the, the problem you have with testing is it's testing. Um, you know, the teams aren't going out there necessarily to set the fastest laps to, you know, uh, certainly looking at the fastest lap times is is, is an, a pointless endeavour. Looking at the long run times is a bit more interesting, but still you don't know the fuel level, um, you know, the tyres, the oh. engine, uh, Alpine, because of technical reasons, weren't running DRS uh, through mm. shakedown. So it's very hard to predict. Um, I've not been trackside, and obviously I've not seen a lot of the TV footage um, from the shakedown to really kind of get a feel. Um, the, the best I can give people is the, the, or the, as I said earlier, the general order that you had from, from previous seasons looks like you're still going to have your Mercedes, Red Bull with Ferrari and McLaren right on their tails, if not in amongst them. Um you know, every year we look at Mercedes and you think, are they sandbagging or have they actually got a problem? And most of the time it turns out that they were sandbagging or if they had a technical problem, they got it sorted pretty rapidly. And um, they were quite open a, a few years ago, I think, on one of their um, podcasts, one of the F1 podcasts. They said that the reason the car was so bad during testing is that they their setup bar um meant that the suspension geometry wasn't accurate um and they were really off the pace but when they actually set the car up properly with a new straight setup beam that the car was great again um equally we look at ferrari every year and it's either oh god it's another disaster which tends to be quite accurate when they are going that way and then other times when they put good times in we all jump on the hype team and think Finally, Ferrari are back at uh, race wins. And I think this year is another one of those examples that Ferrari are looking good, but yeah, this is only testing. Mercedes are good. We know that their car is, you know, only um, a, a 12.5 rather than a 13. Um, and there's big changes to come. Red Bull, you know, people are saying that they were sandbagging. Um, 
And then equally, some people are saying that, you know, maybe they're not looking as good as they are. And then you look to the midfield and it's very hard to predict. You know, Alpine had a pretty dreadful test. Um, Haas and Alpha both had quite bad tests. So, uh, and, you know, I don't think Williams really kind of showed any evidence of, you know, that radical design that I, you know, I got so excited about when I first saw it in terms of it translating into lap times. So it's really hard to predict. Um, I think there's a thing, the other thing, we, like we said earlier, is that no one seems to have got it drastically wrong, that they're really going to kind of fall away from, you know, wherever they were last year. So, you know, I think we'll, we, we'd need to have that conversation again at the end of this test to see if there are, you know, some specific problems with certain teams in terms of reliability, in terms of not bringing the updates that we were expecting, in terms of them having, you know, this, that, that lap time. So, you know, I, I wish I could give you more, but um, all I can say is that it, 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 the general competitiveness of the what would potentially be a top four and the midfield and the tail enders means that it should be a pretty exciting year on track, mm-hmm. especially if these cars. Sounds like it follow as the, uh, the regulations have been promising. Sorry, we lost lost you for a second there, Craig. It's, um, I think keep, software keeps glitching out, but we we got we got all of it because you come back and you speed up yeah, at the it end kind of it. It's pretty strange. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the joys of remote recording. COVID, what have you taught us? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so, do you think the uh, do you think the regulation changes have had the desired effect? I mean, we saw cars following each other deliberately on purpose. Was it Gasly who who tried following? Um, an Alpine for um, yeah, for a there was while. a few a few drivers made comments. Um, again, you know, I'm I'm obviously an advocate of these regulations. You know, I I, I think that they were the the right sort of changes for the right reasons, executed in a in a proper diligent engineering fashion. So, you know, I'm looking for confirmation bias from the drivers' comments. But some of the negative comments were that there is a peer a, a spot when you're about, I think it was the second and a half, I think it might be Charles Leclerc that might have said, or oh, is it Gasly? I can't remember now. So there was a point when you're a little bit further behind the car where it doesn't seem to quite work. Um, and then as you do get quite close to the car, it does seem to be working. So there is, um, you know, a little bit of uh, uh, variance in what the drivers are saying. Anyone would really know is when they're really going for it in a race, because that is the, the real test. I think, you know, the physics, uh, the fact that no one's come out with any outlandish uh, loopholes in these regulations means that it should improve. Now, what, how much improvement in terms of what you're expecting to see is going to be down to every individual fan. I don't think we're going to see cars swapping places like MotoGP bikes, uh, certainly like yeah, Moto3 bikes through a race. I don't think we're going to see that. I think, you know, when someone is able to edge up to someone, you know, it does allow them to stay close to them to make that manoeuvre. And with the change in the tyres, which is the other factor here, is that these tyres will slide now without massively overheating. And again, again, I think Charles Leclerc was saying that, you know, that these tyres are so much better to race with. You can throw the car around a lot more, um, even if that's not great for the air cars aerodynamics, but certainly that the tyres will cope with it. That, you know, we should see a bit more, um, you know, people attempting to pass when they're close to someone rather than just lap after lap, never being quite close enough. Um, DRS obviously is back again this year, which a lot of people saw as a very negative thing. 
and uh, I can kind of agree with it. It would be great if we didn't need it, but um, IndyCar has kind of borne this out as well. When you try and improve the the wake of a car, which is what these regulations are all about, getting all that dirty air away, that dirty air when you're on a straight is what you slipstream in. So by getting rid of the dirty air, you're also getting rid of the slipstream. So DRS is still needed just to give you that little push along the straight, which um, you know is, is, is absent now. Uh, hopefully we're not going to have the situation where the DRS effect is so powerful that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're following someone closely, you'll just whiz by them. So hopefully we'll see some shorter DRS zones um, and, you know, the overtake is much more about getting close to the car, coming onto a straight or going into a corner rather than just literally drafting past on the straights, which, you know, I've I've always been a, a critic of DRS and certainly the how much DRS you're available if you're just behind a car for an entire race just doesn't seem fair somehow um so yeah so I, i'm i'm confident that you know when cars are able to be close to each other it, it, it should give us something that we've been lacking for quite a few years yeah i was going to say about the slipstreaming thing it seems uh you know we've got used to slipstreaming being a thing in formula one so often how, how much is it going to take away from you know the actual slipstream effect because obviously drs is designed to get you closer um not supposed to be a free pass of course as you say that's a mm. little bit uh contentious um mm. but yeah i mean I, I can even think back to to the 90s a huge slipstreaming david coulthard slipstreaming michael schumacher at suzuka from like miles back um mm. you know just it, for me it's always been a part of formula one is that is it still a part or is it is it has it completely disappeared um, again, it's one of those things that we need to see out on track how, how, how effective it is. When you see the, the figures from uh, the FIA in terms of the, uh, the, the, how small the downforce reduction is when behind another car, uh, particularly as you get quite close to it, which is, you know, it's reduced only by a few percent. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the flip side of that is equally <laughs> the, the slipstream is, is, lost by you know the the inverse amount there so yeah i mean i think it, it will be tricky you know there will still be a slipstream effect you know it's, there's, there's definitely going to be something there um it, it, i think you know drs is just going to need to be there just to give it a little helping hand sometimes but you know it's all part of a racing driver's armory um you know potentially you know the same with with the ability to follow the car um, the way the, the aerodynamics work is actually if you just if you offset your car slightly from the car ahead of you, so rather mm. than being kind of nose to tail, your kind of your nose is nearer their uh, rear tire or even offset a bit further from it, your aerodynamics are going to work even better through corners. So there's no point just following someone because you're in their wake. But if you just offset by even just a few feet. Um, the, the your your aerodynamics will start to work so much better again. So there's there's a whole heap of things for the drivers to learn again um, with these cars and how you race them. Um, not least because obviously you've got the tires to play about with. You've got um, managing the brakes, but also the fact that the suspension doesn't work as well as it used to. Um, you know you're going to have the drivers, you know, trying to manage the the aero of the cars uh, over curbs. You know, in corners, you know, you can't get lots of roll in these cars because, you know, it could upset the aero balance. Equally, you don't want the cars pitching uh, under acceleration and braking um, because that, again, equally can negatively affect the aero. It can actually also, in some situations, improve the aero. So, you know, every team and every driver is going to have a little way of just learning how to get the best out of this new package. 
Um, some drivers, I think, will cope with it. I think there may be some drivers that, that don't. Um, too early to predict at this stage. Um, but, you know, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of learning and I think a lot of drivers, you know, I think what's great about this year is you have teams developing at different rates, solving problems, you know, at different times. And then you've got the drivers doing exactly the same thing. It's potentially quite an inconsistent season. So who's great in the first few races may not yeah. be, you know, the mid-season. It might not be the same at the end of the season. It could be quite hard to predict. You could have a, you know, like Mercedes had last year, um, you know, a late surge um, from what looked like a lost season. Um, and I think that's very much the kind of year that we could potentially look forward to this year. Development race. Yeah, both driver and team, which is slightly more unusual. You only tend to get that when you get you know big changes in the uh, the tyre construction. Uh, but this year, you've kind of got everything changed for the driver. So uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting, and uh, it's it, it, it going to be interesting how that that the mainstream media kind of get this information out of the drivers. Because obviously, you know, there's there's things there that they may want to uh, they have problems to keep quiet, and equally, if they find solutions, they want to keep quiet. So, we'll have to find ways of just kind of getting this 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 info out of them somehow. Is there anything sort of glaring at you like that we might find as being the sort of the next big controversy, like uh, flexi wings and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, as I say, I think it will be um, flexible floors is going to be a big story. Um, there's still scope to flex the rear wing. It's, it's tightened up quite quite cleverly this year. There's a couple of other regulations um, which have kind of gone under the radar. One of the things on, on flexible aero, you know, we've always talked about these flex tests, about pulling wings back and, you know, up and down and all this stuff. There's also um, a, a, a wing skin test. So there is the potential that the, 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 the skin of the wing could either blow up at speed or shrink at speed or change its shape slightly. They're now actually testing the deflection of the skin of the wings, uh, which does make you think, well, why is that coming now? (laughs) Who's been doing that over the past few years? Um, So, yes, I think that's that's definitely going to be one of these uh, things that gets talked about. The front wings are enormous. They look quite heavy. Uh, We've seen from some of the onboard footage already that they're bouncing and flexing like mad whether that's a design thing or if it is, you know, just that the problems of creating such a large wing and keeping it stiff could be something else to be discussed. So say uh, brake management is going to be another thing. Um, And one of the other tools that the FIA have got this year in a similar vein is we, I mean, again, it blew up again last year, but it's been a longstanding thing about, you know, minimum tire pressure, minimum tire temperatures. And, you know, you have to take the tyres out the blankets, you know, no more than 30 seconds before you leave the garage. And how do you heat them up and how do you play about with this? And that was, a, yeah, we recall that was a big story last year. For the first time, the FIA have now got a homologated tyre temperature and pressure system built into every wheel. So if anyone is playing with low pressures or playing about with the temperature to muck about with the tyre pressures, uh, that will all get picked up now. Um, and, you know, in a year where getting used to new tyres, I wouldn't be surprised if we actually get some, you know, some race results, some qualifying results or some fines um, meted out because, you know, sorry, but your your, your tyre was under pressure through that race or through that qualifying lap. And, um, yeah, I think it's got scope to get quite nasty amongst people. And certainly I think the fans will 
may not react well a bit like the uh, the point one of a millimeter on the DRS at late last year. <laughs> it's why yeah, you know, why have I lost pole position because I'm half a degree too cold on my tires? Um, again, it's something that, that that could blow up and be quite a big story this year. And there's there's a number of other things um, you know, across the car that potentially could blow up. So yeah, I think it it will be a year of of, of technical controversy. I feel. Just when you thought it was safe to go back on F1 Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think the old F1 Twitter and social media is going to be quite nasty this year because I think a lot of people have still got scores to settle, shall we say. Um, just and a aren't tad. Things go. <clears throat> yes. I'm just interested to know if, uh, if Ferrari end up being title contenders, how many complaints are going to be lodged after the first race to check Ooh, their engine? Many. Uh, yeah, I mean, you... You can you can see it already, can't you? I mean, a lot of the rhetoric coming out of some other team managers. Um, oh yeah, they've got a really powerful engine this year. Oh yeah, they're definitely going to be. Yeah, you just know that um, everyone's kind of getting in their their, their arguments early uh, about Ferrari as one option. Um, but equally, you know, I mean, like most of us that have been in the sport for um, for quite or followed this sport for quite a while. You know, there's always the impression that the FIA are favouring one team over another, and it used to be Ferrari. Um, I think um, certainly at the back end of last year it was Red Bull, but I think there was a stronger period of of, of Red Bull influence um, uh, oh, no. over the FIA. This means you're going to have to quit were... Twitter now, Craig. Did you realise yeah. this? <laughs> yes. Um, oh, but, but... I'm, I'm just saying that it would appear. I'm not saying that there was or there wasn't. <laughs> and, uh, I think when, when people think that there was, it was probably more likely that there was a. It wasn't, but there was a time before that when it was. Um, and it goes on and on. Can and hear, all people can hear. All people can hear is. All people can hear is Craig Scarborough says. Max Verstappen, unworthy world champion. <laughs> That's all people heard then. Is it? I actually thought it was the opposite when I was saying that. Thinking, oh, God. Um, and Chris, yes, you're, not, that... you're not allowed to quit Twitter because what would Nick Knowles do without the surreal pictures that you reply to him with? <laughs> this is true. Has yeah. he not blocked you uh, yet? Yes. No, he hasn't <laughs> blocked me yet. No, but I do find DIY SOS man uh, a strange... Um, Vigilante for Lewis Hamilton's <laughs> uh, title reversal of 2021. Well, they're, they're looking for race stewards, aren't they? Um, you know, he could be. He could be one of the uh, the two new race stewards. Who knows? I think he, I think he's a bit too biased. I'm just going to put that out there. Now. <laughs> oh, you can't say that. <laughs> not, not so biased that he owns a Honda dealership in Jersey, like Derek Warwick. Does he really? Yep. Oh yeah. Oh, I did not know that. There oh, we no. go. Uh, so it's all misinformation. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> Put people off the scent. Yeah. No. I mean. Yeah. I think. I think that Formula One kind of has, has long since thrived on controversy, and certainly aspects of the the regulation of the sport, both on the technical and the, the sporting side, have been. Um, prone to uh, what's the right word i have to be very careful the word. Uh, prone to interpretation in different ways by different people at different times i think most people that as i say uh, think that there is some kind of you know ingrained bias at any one point to one team or another is i think that's quite wide of the mark but um i think you know it's the inconsistency that's the problem and you'll get half of F1 Twitter going oh but they're favoring this person and the other half will be going oh but they're favoring that person 
um, which probably means that they're doing a pretty good job at the end of it. So, um, yeah, but I think, yeah, that is definitely an area that needs to improve in the sport. And I think we're starting to see movement towards maybe a bit more transparency in that area. You know, I think it's certainly improved over previous years, but, you know, there's always there's always room for improvement. Yeah, I mean, we're going into this season with um, two new race directors. Um mm-hmm. One one of which comes from WEC, where he has that much respect um, amongst all the teams and the drivers that no one dare argue with him or persuade him too much. And by all mm-hmm. by all accounts, the um, the new regulations are that there is now a set procedure for how teams can contact race direction and the stewards. Yes. And it's not just the um, what do we say open hotline. <laughs> Well, this is it. I mean, that, that, that line has existed for, for, for years. I mean, you know, we've always seen the team principals and uh, uh, team personnel on the pit bull pushing the Charlie button or the, as it became the, the Michael button or what have you. I always never heard what those conversations were. So what, you know, if you consider what we heard last year was kind of a revelation and kind of got worse as the year got on. Um, what was it like before when they knew it wasn't being broadcast at all? I mean, yeah, the mind boggles, doesn't it? You know, uh, yeah, what, what, what was said and how were things dealt with? Um, I think that it's good that it has been opened up. Uh, I can remember hearing some of the first ones and doing commentary and thinking, oh, my God, they're doing this. They're allowed to tell, <laughs> tell us this stuff. Um so yeah, so I mean, hopefully that you know the the, the the level it got to late last year, um, for good and bad reasons, um, needs to be sorted out. And you know, I, I, again, it's just I think they're trying things to try and improve things, and it, these may not be the solutions, but you know, you don't improve anything by um, without changing it. So we'll give them some time and space to do so, and. Hopefully that will that will um, bring fans. Um, well, I don't think you're going to get all of the fans kind of believing in everything that is you know completely clean and above board because I don't think the world is just like that on social media. But I think certainly most fans will see that you know most of these decisions are made with you know with with a good heart and goodwill. So um, we we'll just need to get everyone's confidence back in it. Yeah, to me, Formula One did take a little bit of a little bit of a knock after Abu Dhabi. Will say mm. being 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 diplomatic um I, I just want this season to be wiped the slate clean let's let's just go again exactly it should have been that the day after shouldn't it but but it wasn't <laughs> it no, w- I think we've got we've still got we've still, we've still got a few weeks of it yet at least <laughs> it would have been without the internet then again we wouldn't have been here so <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean i was thinking about this the other day as well like when as soon as the the, the cars turn a wheel and anger in, in Bahrain in just under two weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be the first time since that incident that cars will be on, all the cars will be on the track together. And obviously they're totally different, but mm-hmm. it's strange to think that that was the last piece of actual Formula One racing was that thing. <laughs> I don't like to refer to it too often because many yeah. reasons the event <laughs> the event remain yeah. indoors the event yeah so, uh, yeah and yeah. so so until that moment i can understand why there might be a debate or you know whatever but as soon as those cars as soon as those lights go out and you know first lap begins in in bahrain it's all it's all gone you know concentrate on 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 2022 uh that's what exactly what all the teams and especially the drivers will be doing so 
I, yeah, I think it, but you just, it's pointless you just to the, let it rumble on. Yeah, you just get the feeling that there are there is an uh, an element of the the media and the social media as well uh, that will say if X driver does well over Y driver. Um, at the end of the first race, it's like they've got revenge. Uh, you know, it's going to be all of this sort of stuff, isn't it? So I think there's there's people that won't let it go, um, and uh, maybe that is why they introduced the, the the technical show and tell in Formula One, rather than getting journalists uh, in front of the drivers asking the same old inane questions race after race. But uh, that's only my my opinion, anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right, Lee. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the question because you haven't had any recently. But has anyone sent a shunt in? No, because we said we weren't going to do it anymore. <laughs> well, no, because people have been asking me if we were doing shunts. And they're f- asking the wrong person I there, know. then, aren't they? So <laughs> what's happened? So someone sent me some. No, the total, a total shunt is retired <laughs> now. <laughs> Which is a shame. We will bring it back at some point. We need to, we need to find something new for the end of the show. <laughs> Think yes. I think we're having planning meetings while we're, while we're doing this. <laughs> I have just briefly come across one other bit of news while oh. having a scroll. Oh, there is um, news. According to Automotor and Sport, Haas had an issue with their plane today. They and did, yeah. may or may not mm. get to the test on time. Yeah, the plane very, very broke Haas down. Style. In, yeah, the plane carrying Haas's stuff broke down in Istanbul, was not able to take off, um, and obviously... Um, not that there's a, a problem in the direct route from Istanbul to to uh, Ab- uh, Abu Dhabi. What am I talking about? To Bahrain. Um, but the uh, obviously the air traffic around that area at the moment is particularly heavier than normal. So uh, they're having to wait and uh, longer uh, to find a, a new slot. So they might not have all of their stuff with them by the time the first test starts. Is there anything else that can go wrong with that team? I do genuinely feel quite sorry for Hass. <laughs> you know, the, the come yeah, out, you, you come out with a new the car, the, the wheels fall off at the first pit stop when they're in danger of getting a double point finish. They've had two sponsors who have had differing kinds of controversies. Um, you know, there are driver shorts already and we've not even started the season. And you know, is there any is there anything else can, that can happen like that? Didn't they have an issue with uh, transport at one point last season as well? I think there was I think there was something going on at some point last year. I can't really remember. I don't know if it was Haas specifically or just there was a um, number of teams, games. wasn't there? Wasn't it? Wasn't it? Wasn't that one of the last races of the season, Saudi Arabia? I want to say. Yeah, that, that uh, sounds weird, really, doesn't it? Yeah, a lot of teams yeah. didn't get their stuff in time, but they 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 just cracked on anyway. Yeah, didn't they have to? Yeah. Uh, didn't they have to lift the curfew just uh, just so that they could that actually get the cars built? Yeah, borrow bits of kit and things. I mean, I think it depends really what what was what was on that plane because don't forget they're going to test with a single car. And they don't need everything to do the the test. Uh, obviously, in time for um, the race, then they will need, you know, the second car, all the other bits of kit, all the other things that get flown out for the the non racing activities. You know, all the marketing and the hospitality and stuff. So it depends what's actually in the containers. Um, it could literally just be, you know, all the, the free gifts for their um, paddock club guests. Uh, it could be something as simple as that, or it could be all of their their, their 
uh, uniform without um, certain branding on it. So, you know, uh, <laughs> or it, or it could that, be it could be the uh, rolls of masking tape to put over the branding on the current uniforms. Exactly. Yeah, just lots of white duct tape. Um, yeah. So, I think you'd be surprised how little kit that a team could get away with um, to start testing. Uh, when you see them, when they do their shakedowns, yeah, they're operating out of a small garage. You don't have to have everything there. So I think there is the potential that this is just, you know, one of those glitches that happens. I'd be surprised if it has any material effect on, on their testing. Um, and, you know, from from where they are, you know, they've 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 got probably got far bigger things to be worrying about <laughs> than uh, maybe start a little bit late on the first day of the test. Yeah, I think as um, as Gunter said in an interview this week, it's just a bigger negative number. Uh, <laughs> Poor Gunter. <Yeah. laughs> Apparently, in Drive to Survive, there is another Gunter episode. I mean, it's season. a tradition. Well, there now, has to be. Not? He's a he's he's a legend in Formula One now. It's, <laughs> It's it's funny how it comes across, and you know, someone that you've you've known for uh, quite a few years um, suddenly portrayed in a very specific way, and it's like, <laughs> oh, I don't remember him quite being like that, but maybe he was. And it's like you've obviously just not it. irked him like a, a Kevin Magnuson. Oh, have, well, maybe have he just you... doesn't swear at me as much as he does at his drivers. <laughs> I don't know. It's... Have you not read the quote? The, the quote from where he said to uh, Mazepin during Drive to Survive. He's, he's talking uh, to I've got to say, I've, I've fast forward through much, so much of Drive to Survive. I probably haven't heard that particular bit. No, no, it's a, it, it was a quote from this, like the the next the new series, and he's talking uh-huh. to him about giving the um, mechanics hard a hard time about the uh, about the car not being very good. And the quote is, "This is why everyone fucking hates you." <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's a bit harsh, but... Yeah. I mean, allegedly, season four, episode four, is focusing uh, on on Nikita Mazepin. That might not have aged well, then, that edit. No, no. It's it's based around the Russian Grand Prix as well. Um, Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I don't know if we've got season four, episode four anymore. I don't know. This is going to be the most watched episode in the history of Netflix. <laughs> if it's if it's part of the series, um, obviously you can't deny the fact that twenty twenty one was last year. It was a thing that happened. Uh, you can't just delete things. That, oh, I don't that know. I don't because... know. The Lewis fans have theories about de- just deleting what happened last year. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, they do. It's and true, if but... and if nobody else will do it, they will do it themselves. <laughs> Yeah. I read. Uh, you could DIY right if you well. wanted to. <laughs> Sorry, I, read, I, read it, I read it might be getting dropped. What the Russian so, Grand Prix? No draft to survive. Oh, um, yes. yeah. I think they were saying that it, might, it won't be around forever. I think was the, sort of the gist of it, which you could say about anything, really, couldn't you? It was you? direct from Domenicali, wasn't it? That yeah, they said yeah. that it was. Um, you know, we, we will put this out to you know to tender at some point. Doesn't necessarily mean you've got the. Netflix has got the stranglehold on it. Um, I, I quite enjoy Drive to Survive. I know that it's um, 
well, it's a bit contrived. It's a, you know, it's dramatic mm. where it doesn't need to be. It makes, uh, you know, it borrows radio message. For those who don't know, it borrows radio messages from other races and impl- you know, mm. implements them into for other fake footage commentary. to make, yeah. yeah, yeah, fake commentary, etc., to make it sound and look a bit more dramatic than it was, or uh, you know, make it sound like a driver said something that they didn't actually say at that time. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it, but it's. You know, it is about the sport that we all love. So I do, I do watch it, but mm. I watch it with I watch it with a pinch of salt. No, that's that's mm. I take it with a pinch of salt. Fast I watch it. It. <laughs> I'd like them to do something like that, but as like a hybrid form between Drive to Survive and a season review. So Drive to Survive would have what twenty three episodes this year, but have it more base. You I mean you can like have a bit of creative editing if you want, but not putting things in on into races where it just wasn't there to make it seem more dramatic. I think that it'd be a really cool way of doing a seat of doing a season review is having like an hour, 45 minutes or something on each race. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing that frustrates me um, with sort of drive to survive and, you know, in general F1 pre pre show um, shows, is that why, why does this all go into Drive to Survive? You know, it's happening at race weekend with cameramen everywhere. Mm. Why, why isn't this in your Sky pre-show or in your post-race show? Why aren't we seeing more of what's actually going on in the paddock? Because it's got so tight now that you literally can't speak to anybody um, in the paddock, uh, on the grid, uh, without getting things booked in at the beginning of the year and stuff like this, and you know the whole, it, the whole paddock is so uptight and so controlled that you can't actually get very good TV out of most of what's going on. Despite the fact that it is as Drive to Survive has shown, it's a fascinating place to be. So I just think you know the sport needs to open up and relax a bit, and you know, let's have Sky following, um, you know. Nikita Mazepin around for the Russian Grand Prix um, instead of Drive to Survive and have it going out, you know, during the race weekend, you know, rather than it always having to be, well, Martin Brundle has booked, you know, so and such and such drive to speak on the grid and we'll have Christian Horner live on the pit wall this weekend. I mean, that's not massively entertaining, but this is all going on uh, and it should be captured in the TV broadcasts, not in uh, a documentary format. That's how I see it. 100 but if we did that we wouldn't have time to have like drivers playing crown green bowls in the pit lane <laughs> well maybe that needs to go into its own sports show so and you have just, its own channel Dr- driver darts i, um, I mean a, a grand prix we weekend with johnny herbert throwing baps across a, a bakery at <laughs> yeah. carlos science and charles leclerc and at least two of them going for a coffee in a local restaurant of course and, and and fumbling the local language. <laughs> I wonder where that was yeah. going for how, a moment. How would we um, hope yes. those <laughs> These are all reasons why Lee turns the television on 20 minutes before the race starts. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's not a controversial technique that I think coming in later is sometimes better. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. you know, it was it was a proper like revelation to me when um, when Fernando did the like, Indianapolis because I don't I don't normally watch IndyCar. Mm. So I I was watching then to see how Fernando got on. I'm watching like the pre-race build-up for IndyCar. Even though they were just in a studio, 
it was like, oh shit! All they do is talk about IndyCar. This is odd. <laughs> yeah. How dare yeah. they? I mean, yeah. Go, going back to Drive to Survive, I mean, it, it, what what it has done brilliantly is put a load of of of, of young new eyes on Formula One. Some of whom yeah, are I mean, probably listening that, to that this is podcast. undeniable, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah. If they transfer, though, that's the other thing. You know, if it, if you get if you get people that are in it because it's essentially made in Chelsea with racing cars. Uh that I'm might say Hollyoaks, but yeah that, that yeah. works. But that um it might not actually transfer to people that are willing to sit down for an hour and a half and watch a motor race. Um, yeah, I mean I think you will get people that, that that don't convert over and just treat it as a box set like anything else. But mm. my my experience in uh, I mean I, I I've been into motor racing since I was, you know, sort of like ten years old. Uh, no one in my family was, none of my friends, none of my even work colleagues over the years, very few of people have actually been into it. But it's only been in the last few years, people have sort of come up to me and says, oh, you know, my, my son and daughter are watching it now and like my, my wife watches it. And it's like, really? <laughs> and it's because they've watched Drive to Survive and they will now sit and watch the Grand Prix. Uh, we were at um, uh, a friend's we- um, uh, birthday meal and some of the kids were watching qualifying on their phones. And it's like, wow. well, I've never experienced this before. <laughs> I mean, it was always like my little kind of secret thing that I would be watching the motor racing. But now, yeah, people that you, well, maybe only into football or, uh, you know, other uh, other interests are actually getting into Formula One because of Drive to Survive. So, you know, as much as That's I say cool. that it's, um, you know, it, it, it's not the perfect format, it, it, it has a job. Um, yeah, I think it's the grabbing the, the essence of that and putting it in other places, I think, is the um, is, is the key thing as well. I've, I've had a lot of this when um, like when I go to work on a Monday that now I'll have the women coming and asking me about F1, not just the lads. Yeah, it's it yeah, absolutely appeal to a different audience. And we're probably not the target audience for it because we're a bit too into it. But it does seem to have broadened out yeah who's interested no absolutely yeah, i mean i think that i think the diversity of the f1 sort of fan base now with drive to survive um with lewis obviously with the black lives matter sort of uh, thing going on over the past couple of years i think you know it it's it you can see how diverse it is um uh, particularly on social media and i think that's fantastic i mean it's always been an international sport it's definitely got a much bigger foothold uh, in the us i mean that's 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 more than evident um, and you know, it would be good to kind of monopolize a bit on that and, um, you know, keep expanding the sport into, into, you know, different areas and, you know, different groups of people to, to watch it and follow it and hope that they aren't just interested in it because of, you know, a particular driver or, um, you know, a particular TV show. I think it would be good that, you know, we can, we can grow the base of the sport, uh, into, you know, far, far, far wider. as you say, I mean, I think, Social media taught me that there's way more women that are into you know, Formula One than I, I, I ever believed because I, I before that I couldn't think of many women that I knew that actually liked the sport. But actually, you know, probably more predominantly on on social media is a, a female following and it just shows you how, how important that has been. On a not unrelated subject, while Christian Horner's going on about women only watching F1 because they fancy the drivers... The only yeah. person I know who fancies Max Verstappen is my hairdresser, and he's called Liam. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
there's nothing more you can say after that, is there? <laughs> wow. That could, be the name, that could be the name of the podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> I gathered into 255 characters easily enough. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, Craig, thank you so much for uh, for joining us again this week. Like like I said at the start, it it, fun as ever. It wouldn't be the start of the season without you. (laughs) Thank you. And uh, hopefully you'll join us again uh, later on in the year, so we can um, we can look at what development, if any, has um, been done and actually been legal. Yeah, let's see, see what some of my predictions and uh, concerns were like. Or uh, maybe Haas will just run away with the, the, the championship this year. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> and probably last. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, obviously we've got the website at threelegsfourwheels.com and we're at Three Legs Four Wheels on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And individually we all are... At Sean Cowper. At Flood21. At it all shunt. At Pablo 100. And? And at Scarbs Tech. Great. And also, if you want to support the show, if you don't already, uh, we've got the Patreon page set up. Um, you can donate as little as $1, £1 or €1 Euro a month. And um, you'll get early access to the show. And we will come up with some new benefits this year. Because New Year, we're going to get around to doing something for the patrons who have... New Year, up... it's March. Well, no, new season. New season. It's our, it's our new year. You know, you're an NFL. New year of Formula One. Yeah, yes. you're an NFL fan. The league year doesn't start until the 16th of this month. True. So yeah, I can I can get away with saying it. Uh, so we will come up with some more benef- new benefits for the uh, for the patrons at some point soon. We will have to get our heads together, possibly over a pint. Good we will be back um, next week. We'll be able to look back at what happened during testing and see what we can um, see what we can pick out of that. If anyone's on Discord, look for the Three Legs Four Wheels server because there'll be chat going on. All over testing Thursday, Friday, and Saturday on uh, on that. And uh, other than that, thanks a lot for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. See you.